Hi y'all, this is Lee. Welcome to Hashing It Out with Lee Montgomery. Today we're going to talk about how I knew something was wrong, my signs and symptoms, my path to getting a diagnosis, and where I am now. Here we go. Hi guys, I'm here with Lee today. Lee's kind of handed me the microphone because we're going to talk a little bit about her story and exactly how she got to where she is today and why she's so passionate about helping other women as they navigate this Hashimoto's journey. So here's Lee. Say hi, Lee. Hi. <laughs> Great. So Lee, first, first real question I think for everybody who's listening right now is how did you know? How did you know something was wrong? Um, I'll say in the beginning, I didn't know something was wrong. Uh, in fact, for many years, I was told everything that I was going through was normal. So um, symptoms that I had that led me to at least start questioning it, even though they were telling me nothing was wrong, <laughs> were super, super heavy periods, 10 to 15 days, uh, lots of clotting, wow, lots of cycling through tampons, um, you know, every hour. It was, it was pretty devastating. Um, adult acne, never had acne growing up, hit probably around 25 and all of a sudden had really bad acne. Uh, and a story we could probably go into another time is I actually ended up getting on Accutane, which, um, I do regret at this point because now I have dry eyes, but that's a whole nother story, right? So, <laughs> um, but it was that bad that I was willing to put something like that in my body because I had never struggled with acne before. Um, really, really bad sleep issues. I was what I considered a night owl, but it was pretty extreme. I would stay up till two, three in the morning, um, get up, take my kid to school, come back, sleep till 11 or 12. And then the cycle just kept repeating over and over again. Um, I had no eyebrows on the outside. Um, my hair was falling out in clumps. I had gained weight. I've got some really fun pictures, uh, back in the day, <laughs> um, the moon face, uh, in those pictures and no eyebrows out here. So yeah, that's a lot of fun. And so um, what, it, what would you, um, how do you describe moon face for those of us that don't, that haven't had that symptom or don't know exactly what to look for if you've got moon face? Um, so for me, it was just a very round, full face. That's think of a moon, like round, it's full and it's not like I gained, I had extra weight on me. I was looking at this picture and I think in this picture and why I don't know this, I don't know, but I was, I've always been, I'm a solid size eight. Okay. Like right. every once in a while I'll dip into a six when I'm trying really hard, you know, but like I'm a, <laughs> I've been a solid eight girl since high school and probably weighed about 138 pounds at this somewhere around there. That was my, my, sure. my uh, normal weight back then. And you can see, like, I weigh more than that now. Of course, I have a lot more muscle now, but, like, my face is like this. Wow. It's just a solid, round face. And so it didn't matter what my weight was doing, if I was lean or not, my face showed the um, the hashies was definitely there. Definitely oh, there. We'll definitely post that picture because, yeah, I, I remember what you're talking about. And, yeah, you look like a skinny mini except for your face. Absolutely. Yes, faces. Well, I don't know that I looked like a skinny mini, but I definitely had. <laughs> um, what were, did you have any other, what people would kind of consider textbook symptoms? Cause I know moon face is pretty textbook. Um, yeah. um, well, no libido. So at the time, um, me and Levi had been dating, gosh, 
years. We were years into this and it got to where I couldn't even, didn't even want to address sex. I, I, I didn't want to have it. I didn't pursue it. Um, if it was up to me, it just didn't happen. And I knew that was something was wrong with that. Cause I have a very good looking husband. Um, <laughs> right. He emotionally is supportive of me. He, you know, sure. he, he does everything right. And I literally would cringe at the thought of it. And I was like, something's not right, especially in your twenties. Like this is, this is when you should be in your prime, right? Like <laughs> sure. something isn't going on and that's that, or something is going on. And that is when I went to my gynecologist and finally got the nerve to say, Hey, something's wrong. Um, and at that point I was still dabbling in some birth control. Um, sure. and it wasn't working for me. It made me half crazy. And so I had tried like four or five different things, um, was getting off of birth control, decided we're, we're not going to do this anymore. But his solution to me was basically to go home and drink a glass of wine and chill out. And so I knew then I was like, okay, I've been with this doctor, my gynecologist, since I was about 19 years old. And I was like, he's a great gynecologist. He delivers my babies. Great. Or at that point he had delivered one baby and I I love his staff, but he's, he can't help me here. I've got to, I've got to find someone else to help me. Right. He was kind of looking at it like it was some sort of psychological or emotional issue with you versus there was something literally physically going on. Yes. And at that point, you know, I had no idea that I had thyroid and I'm certain I had thyroid disease at that point, but he didn't even ask, Hey, let's check your hormone levels. Like nothing. Wow. Nothing. So that's, I, I'm sure lots of women have experiences like that. I know I do where you go in and you're expecting a, not, not necessarily a diagnosis, but at least, um, an examination like of yes. asking questions, like some sort of feedback and data collection there. And it's, it sounds like you didn't get any of that. It sounds like it was kind of. No, because some... he knew about my periods too. Like he knew about my periods. He knew about my face. Cause I had talked to him about Accutane. Right. Um, because you know, with Accutane, you have to have, uh, a negative pregnancy test or something like that. I had to. Sure. Yeah. It causes all kind of to, weird and stuff. I had to be on birth control through yeah. taking the Accutane. So I needed that. Um, the other thing that is really funny, one of my big symptoms that I did not realize was a hashy symptom, um, probably until more recently, by recently, I mean the last what five or six years, was severe constipation. I would only, I was only going to the bathroom and I'm not talking a little bit here and there. I'm talking, I was only going to the bathroom once every 10 to 14 days. Wow. And even that had to be stimulated usually with like a correctal. Wow. Something like that. Not a single doctor asked me about my bowel movements. We didn't talk about it. Like that was just something that wasn't spoken about. And that also was a red flag at the time. Like something's not right. Yeah, that's again, that's not that's not even sort of right. <laughs> no. um, so yeah, so it's, it's, and ladies, just so you know, you should be going to the bathroom every single day and probably a couple times a day. <laughs> like, <laughs> once you start going to the bathroom, your whole life changes, let me tell you. So um yeah, so it just I look back on that and I think why didn't anybody ask me these questions? Right. Well, I kind of love cuz I know cuz I've watched girls go through your program um and watched and seen, you know, your kind of intake form that you have for them when they start with thriving through Hashimoto's. And that is one of the questions. And I always thought, oh gosh, that's such a, that's such a tough question to get to right off the bat, but it makes complete sense why you're asking it because 
you weren't asked that. And had you been, there would have been some more exploration of other symptoms. Because if you tell any doctor that you're not going to the bathroom except for two times or, you know, once every two weeks, there should be some concern there. There should be some concern. And then also I think about, I wasn't going to the bathroom once every, you know, 10 to 14 days. And my face looked the way it did. Someone should have been questioning some gut issues at that point. Yeah. But I also, early in my, in my journey, I was with conventional doctors. And again, I'm all about conventional meds. Sometimes it's needed, right? They deliver your babies. They help you when you're sick, stuff like that. But sure, something like Hashimoto's doesn't mix well with most conventional doctors because they're not asking the, the right questions to get to the, because it requires more than a white pill, right? It requires more than that pill to treat it. And they're just not versed in that. And there's, I've come to terms to just, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. It's not their expertise, but someone has to be there to recognize these symptoms. Somebody has to be there to ask the right questions. And that's what we're here for. Right. Well, and I know lots of your girls, lots of your Hashi girls have success with functional med doctors and then um, really more so female endocrinologists. Kind of working with women on this um, is a little bit easier because they tend to recognize those symptoms. I know your current doctor also has Hashis. Isn't that true? Yes. Have you seen a big difference with working with someone who literally has Hashis? Oh, absolutely. And she's she is actually um, a, a PA that works under the doctor, the MD at the clinic I go to. And um, they specialize in hormones. They specialize in women's health. Um, and so it's cool because she's been down the journey. So she understands and she's willing to try things that are outside the box. She knows that I'm not a, I'm not a pill catcher. Like don't throw me more prescriptions. Right. I want to try it the natural way, right? <laughs> hey, there's people that are, and that's okay. If that's you, we just work differently together. So um, it's so much easier. And I've had seven to nine doctors at this point. Wow. All of them and many of them functional med. Um, in fact, the one doctor that I would say got me the biggest results because I was in such a flare when I went to her was Amy Myers. And at the time she wasn't famous. Now she's pretty famous. She's all over, all over the internet, the functional med doctors. Um, she, she was a game changer for me. Um, and about a year into my journey, when I finally started, I could tell that my body was starting to react really like accept the treatment. I was, um, I was doing better job of accepting the diagnosis and following through with what I needed to do. Um, The only reason that I left her practice is just, it was a cash basis, which we find this a lot in functional med. It was extremely expensive. Um, It required, she wanted me on a lot of supplements and it just got to a point to where I felt like I had gotten, had gained better control and I knew what my body needed. And so I just wanted a doctor there to support me, but that wasn't going to make me break the bank. And so once I got, I guess my, my feet under me with her, I probably spent 12 to 18 months with her. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and found another functional med doctor that was just a little bit more affordable um, and helped me was more like in a maintenance zone with her. Like, okay, this is, I know what I'm doing. I can do this now. I don't have to have um, the top expert working with me. Right. So you kind of learned what you needed to learn, definitely grateful for it, and then able to kind of move on and start to manage this on your own. See, that kind of leads me into um, the next few questions that I want to ask. One thing I do want to ask, and you kind of briefly talked about it, but 
what helped you kind of make that switch from kind of being in denial? Because I know lots of our Hashi girls are in denial and going, well, I can probably still do this. I can do a little bit of this or I don't have to change this or just so unhappy with the diagnosis that they're not doing anything about it. What helped you kind of make that transition from I I don't want to have Hashimoto's to I have Hashimoto's and I'm just going to thrive now? Right. Very good question. So I tell everyone, when you get this diagnosis, and once you realize, because you will go do a Google search, I promise you, (laughs) (laughs) you have to allow yourself a grieving period. I literally bawled my eyes out when my doctor told me that I could not eat gluten, specifically Pizza Hut pizza. (laughs) That's all I could think about. Like I could never have a Pizza Hut pizza ever again. There goes that sponsorship deal out the window. Sorry, bud. So I was so upset because I grew up in a family that food was the center of our family. My mom is a great Southern comfort cook. She had a restaurant, a catering business growing up. Like we grub and we eat good Southern Texas food. And so, and everything has gluten in it. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it was doomsday for me. And so I just look back and I think I just needed a minute to grieve. I don't ever recommend people getting the diagnosis, going home, and then just trying to make this huge change in their lives, right? Like sure. I get some people are really extreme, like they're they're hurting so bad that they're willing to go there. Um, but I will say the first two years, um, I struggled borderline. Yes, I was starting to heal my body, and yes, I was starting to accept the diagnosis, but I also was starting to walk towards now an eating disorder orthorexia, um, where everything I ate had to be like this perfect make because I was terrified of this disease, right? Sure. This condition. And so, um, it really took me years of trying everything, autoimmune paleo, full elimination diet. And I'm talking, when I say full elimination diet, I couldn't even eat pepper. I mean, like it was insane. Like I couldn't eat grapes. I couldn't eat citrus fruit. Um, it took me, I had to basically stop working out the way I was working out. We all know I loved CrossFit, right? I still CrossFit, but for about a year I had to alter what those workouts look like. And so it was, this disease was taking everything away from me that I loved. Yeah. And so I had a pity party for a minute. I really did. And then I, I finally just, I'm not a, I'm not a girl that sits in victim mentality very long. And so I, right. I, I had to sit down, get my bearing straight. I read a lot of books, um, and start working on me and how was I going to incorporate stuff into my life so that I can continue to live. And what took me probably a solid seven years, um, because I didn't have the support because I didn't have it anyone there holding me accountable or giving me, um, things to try that were more sustainable. Sure. Um, you know, that took a long time where now what I feel like I've done a good job of is I've taken everything I've learned and condensed it into a smaller period with a little more grace to give people the tools to get to that quicker. Oh, definitely. Quicker. Yeah. What, that is something that you get a lot of feedback on in your course, I know, is that everything is 
condensed and much more actionable because it can be so overwhelming to go, you know, get every book on Hashimoto's, autoimmune disease, gluten, and you come home with a stack of 15 books and each one of those is 400 pages and some contradict each other and it can be really, really overwhelming and scary at that point. So I know a lot of your girls appreciate how you've been able to condense things down and kind of say, here are the things we're going to work on and these are going to make the biggest difference right now in the short term. And then here's what you can work on long term. I, I know lots of girls are really excited about that, which kind of leads me into what would you tell someone? We've talked about how you made that transition. What would you tell someone now has been the fruits of that labor? What, what's different now going forward? How do, how do you know your body better? How are you able to kind of, I don't want to say self-diagnose, but you're an expert in your own body. How did, how did you get to that point? And what does that look like for you now? Mm-hmm. Again, years in the making, paying attention. Um, when you have this condition, you feel things, you become very in tune with your body. I can tell my body's headed towards a flare before the flare gets here. I can stop it now. I've only probably in the last seven to 10 years, probably had two real flares that wow. I couldn't, I didn't pinpoint, right? So yeah. um, my husband always says, you always think something's going on with your body. And I'm like, because there is always something going on with my body. And I just pick up on it doesn't mean that it actually ever gets there because I'm like, Ooh, something's off. And then I immediately start looking at my data. Right. So I'm a naturally, if anyone knows me, I'm a nerd when it comes to this, I track everything. I keep a binder with all of my lab work in it. When I get lab work, I, when I actually get the physical copy back, I document on that lab work. What was I feeling like when I got this lab work done? That was able, that one thing led me down a path of figuring out what lab values actually made me feel better, right? Because we have these lab value ranges that a doctor will say, well, you're in range, so there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. (laughs) Right, right. Right? And and I think everybody's had that experience where they go in and they know something is so wrong and your blood work comes back and the doctor's like, no, you're good. And it's like, I don't feel good. So I had doctors telling me that with a TSH of four, that I was in range, but my hair was literally falling out in clumps. So I know for me, my, after doing years of research, lab work after lab work, documenting how I feel with that lab work, that actually my ideal TSH sits between 0.75 to 0.95. Oh, wow. Which is also in range, but I feel better on the lower end of the range. And doesn't that matter? Like, <laughs> right, right. Doesn't it matter how I feel? So um, it's just, you know, years of tra- tracking data, paying attention to how I feel. Um, it's never been a perfect journey. Y'all, I still have Pizza Hut pizza on occasion. I hate <laughs> to break it to you. Um, but I've gotten better at making the better choice the majority of the time, even though it's not always the best choice. Sure. Even if it means today I choose to have that slice of pizza, um, tomorrow it's so much easier for me to just get right back on track. I've reduced that time, right, where you sit in limbo. I reduced the time between getting off track and getting back to what makes my body feel good. Sure. That makes sense. That makes um, a lot of sense. When And, and so, I know something – I'm sorry to interrupt, Lee, but I know something that you teach with your girls, and I think it's super important – I think when we're diagnosed with something like this, it could, there's a real sense of hopelessness because it's kind of like you talked about. We'll never have the pizza again. We'll never get to be normal again. We'll never, you know, have the life we had before. Um, 
But when we speak in absolutes like that, it really, it makes everything a whole lot scarier. At the end of the day, like you're saying, you can have one piece of pizza and you can consciously make that choice knowing that tomorrow you're going to do everything back to normal and back to your normal everyday routine. Right. And I, I had a doctor that told me if I ever had anyone tell me that I could have gluten or dairy again, that that was medical malpractice. Um, and that scared me because I was like, those are strong words. Like she's right. serious. And, um, and so, and I did follow that rule. I was a rule follower. So I followed that rule for years and I noticed, Hey, I'm getting better. Like, and even to the point that my medication, I was able to start down dosing. I, I needed to down dose because I was started to get hyper, right? Yeah. The hyper so symptoms. Like something's changing. Like my gut is changing. I'm healing. And so I knew that if, if my gut was changing and my body could process some of this stuff better, I didn't have the stress I used to have. I'm, I'm sleeping like a champ now. Like I'm doing all these things that maybe I could enjoy some of the things I used to enjoy on occasion, sometimes foods, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and, and again, I'm not sitting here telling you go eat pizza. Or gluten <laughs> pizza. The cool thing is, is nowadays there's gluten-free pizza that tastes just as good yes. as real pizza. That wasn't the case in 2010, y'all. Not <laughs> the case at all. So, um, so the majority of the time you see me eating pizza, it's actually gluten-free pizza because it actually tastes good now. But you get what I'm trying to say is that don't let the absolute scare you into doing nothing something is better than nothing and then get better at those somethings make the better choice even if it's not the best choice right so the best choice when we're out and about is to come home and eat the way we know our body reacts to the best right like so if you're out and about and you're hungry the best choice is I'm going to go home I'm going to eat that grilled chicken breast and I'm I'm going to eat some kind of gluten-free carb you know whether it's potatoes or rice and I'm going to eat some vegetables and I'm going to drink all my water that's the best choice, but life happens and I have kids. And so sometimes the better choice is I'm going to go to Chipotle with my kids and I'm going to get the best option at Chipotle I can get. So it's not the best choice I can make, but it's the better choice. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I think it also kind of reminds us that we need to extend ourselves a little bit of grace, especially in those early days of this, when we're still feeling um, maybe a profound sense of loss, actually, because when we talk about giving up gluten or giving up dairy, and you're talking about, for you personally, that was giving up your mother's cooking. Like there is something yes. really intense about that. So there, it, it is a tragic loss. And, you know, people can kind of make it small and go, oh my gosh, you can't have bread. Oh no. But for so many of us, we attach memories and feelings to what we're putting in our body. And that's, that's a big transition to make. I know with your girls, Lee, um, many of them are starting to reach points that you've been working with now for, you know, over, over a year, um, are starting to reach points where they're becoming more empowered about their body, their data, and actually taking, you know, their binders in to see their doctor and going, hey, we want to adjust this. We want to do this. If you had anything to say to a girl who has just gotten a diagnosis or maybe has gotten a diagnosis and maybe been kind of in denial for, you know, I don't know, six months to three years, kind of like someone else, you know, was, but, um, what would you tell them is the first thing they need to do when it comes to beginning their own Hashimoto's healing journey? So the first thing I tell every girl to do is get that binder and start keeping your data. Okay. Like 
the if you want to become an expert in your own health, you actually have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what are your lab values? What do you feel like when you're doing that? And then I tell everybody after that, everybody wants to go straight to the diet. What should I, what diet should I follow? What should I cut out? And I will tell you, I could give you the perfect diet, but if you are not sleeping and if you are a stress ball, it will not matter. It will not matter one bit. So I always go first things first, let's address your sleeping habits and let's, let's address your stress levels. And when we get those in a good place, then adding in the nutrition side of it, the lifestyle changes, they're actually not as overwhelming because you're well-rested and less stressed. You, know, <laughs> you try to go do all those things and you're completely exhausted and a stress ball. Of course, you're going to fail. Right. Of course, you're going to fail. Right. So, and just remember, you don't have to do this all at one time. You do not have to. I was not forced. I hate to say that because I chose the path I chose and I'm glad I did because it led me here. But I was with a doctor that told me the only way to be successful with an elimination diet is to do the full elimination diet like I did. And I failed miserably over and over and over again, where I take a very, a much simpler approach with my clients. I don't force them to do a full elimination at once. I tell them, if you've never eliminated anything, let's just start with gluten and dairy, maybe just gluten, get through that part of it. Okay, now you ready? Now you figured this out a little bit. Let's see what corn does. Let's see what nightshades do. Let's remove the bad oils from your diet. Let's eliminate soy. You know what I'm saying? Eggs, things like that. But you can do one at a time. And who cares if it takes you a year to get through all the foods to see if they impact you or not? Why does that matter? Because it took me a year anyway, because it was so hard. I kept failing. I kept having to start over. Right. right. I hate when people push us into a corner that it's AIP or no way, right? which is autoimmune paleo. I just think that's ridiculous. And most people are very successful on AIP until they're not. Right, right. And once we fall off, it's really hard to get us back on that track again. Right, just, it's really tough. That's not a super sustainable path forward. Slow and steady wins the race every day, baby. Slow (laughs) and steady. You're right about that. Thank you so much, Lee. This was really informative. I'm sure a lot of people are going to appreciate hearing your story because everybody's story is so different. Um, But so much of what we learn about Hashimoto's tends to be anecdotal because, like we said, you'll go to the doctor and they'll say, you're in range, you're fine. And we don't necessarily fit a great textbook definition of a sickness or a condition. So um, it's something that you say a lot, but you wouldn't blame a type 1 diabetic for needing insulin, right? So why are we as Hashi Girls kind of blaming ourselves for something that we have? We need to go ahead and grieve for it and then understand what we need to do next. So thank you, Lee. This was really helpful. Thanks, Liza, for asking the questions today. It was actually a lot of fun being on the other side of the mic. Hashi Girls, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out. Um, you can actually find us on Instagram at Lee Lee Montgomery. That's L-E-I-G-H, L-E-I-G-H, M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y, or at hashigirls.com. See y'all soon.